The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Uh, we're going to turn to God's Word together. If you have a Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. It's probably one of the longest chapters in the Bible, and we're going to do the very end of it. Um, so here's what I'm going to do for you, for us. Um, I'm going to read our passage for us, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at this resurrection passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass this uh, pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray and ask for God's help. God, as we look at this passage and we consider the resurrection of our Lord this morning, this passage helps us to see what it means for our own lives today. So I pray that as we work through this passage, and more importantly, as we experience Jesus this morning, that we would be invited to live in his victorious life. So his name we pray. Amen. The reason I've chosen this passage is because the resurrection of Jesus is one of those events where we celebrate it, and we're kind of like, great and it's not quite so obvious as to what it does for our lives, how it changes our lives. So as we get started, I just want to kind of reflect on what are the most important life-changing events in your life? Like, what have you experienced that have been, like, life-changing events? Now, they could be negative events. I understand that. And sometimes they are. They could be positive ones, right? They could just be, like, the first time that you saw a painting at the museum and you were just enthralled with the beauty of this painting. Or the first time you got to the top of Mount Washington or Mount Lafayette, and it was the first time you'd seen this mountainscape in front of you. It could be the birth of a child. It could be uh, your wedding day. It could be um, the first time that you saw the Batman movie. I don't know. It, it could be something that changes your life in the way you just perceive reality around you, right? So, for example, to reference movies, um, the Matrix Resurrections movie, right, ironically titled given today, recently came out. And I remember where I was when I saw that movie for the first, the first Matrix movie back in 1999, ancient years ago, long time ago. Some of you don't even remember those years. I remember the first time I saw that, and it changed movies forever, right? Um, globally, global events, for example, uh, we have the situation with Ukraine and Russia going on right now. And the reason everybody's kind of tiptoeing around is because... Uh, in World War II, we had two atomic bombs go off, and that changed global history forever. Nobody would ever engage with war or international conflicts again because 
the destruction of one atomic bomb is so massive that it changes the psyche of the world around us. What we're talking about this morning is something similar to that. Um, when we celebrate Christmas, right, we celebrate Christmas and we kind of like, okay, Jesus is a gift. God gives us a gift in Jesus, and so we give gifts to each other, therefore Santa Claus, <laughs> right? That, that makes sense, right? When it comes to Easter morning, God sent his son to die on a cross for our sin and victoriously rise over death on Sunday morning, therefore the Easter bunny and eggs. <laughs> like we don't quite, it's not quite clear how Easter morning changes our lives, what it invites us into. At Christmas, we kind of get it, right? But Easter morning, we're kind of like, okay, I mean, yay, Jesus rose from the dead. But how does it change our lives? Here, what we have in 1 Corinthians 15 is this explanation of what does it mean for our lives. And in fact, as Felipe referred to earlier, the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate event that makes Christianity true or false. And that's what this chapter is all about, right? Earlier in this chapter, let me just read for you these, these verses, because Christianity, the, the thing I love about Paul, especially in this passage, he doesn't flinch from dealing with the realities of, is this true or not? He doesn't kind of like paint it over, oh, well, it's kind of true in like a metaphorical sense. He, he wants to know, is it, if it, is it literally true if Jesus rose from the dead, then there's implications for our lives. And if it's false, let me read for you in this, these verses earlier in chapter 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can someone say that there is no resurrection from the, from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching in, is in vain and our faith and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be mis misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, it is true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I mean, it's a fascinating thing that the Bible itself, this book that has, that proclaims who God is in its own pages says, look, if this central event of what we celebrate this morning, Easter itself, is not true, if it didn't literally happen, if Jesus' literal lungs did not breathe in air on Sunday morning that had been dead for three days, then everything that we're doing this morning is a waste of time. It's fascinating that the Bible is honest about the stakes involved. And yet, here what Paul is going to go on and talk about is say, yes, it's true. And if you want to know why it's true, we can get into all the historical reasons of why we think the resurrection is true. The Bible's chock full. But what I want to say this morning is, because it's true, what does that mean for our lives? What is Easter morning, apart from being a great time to have Easter dinner and go on walks and enjoy the spring and see the flowers and all this stuff, what does it do for our lives today? That's what we get here at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. What I want to draw your attention to is verse 57, and then we're going to kind of step out and look at all these verses together. Verse 57 of chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the payoff, so to speak. 
That's what Paul is driving all of this about, is the resurrection true. He is driving at Easter Sunday's true. Therefore, thanks be to God who gives us this victory that Jesus has accomplished on Easter morning. He gives it to us in a unique and powerful way that changes your life today and, I think, the week ahead. So, here's what we're going to say the main point of this passage is, and then we're going to quickly kind of step through this passage. The main point of this whole passage, I think, is an invitation to live in Jesus' victorious resurrection, to live in it. It does something for you. It invites you into something. You're invited into a building this morning, and you step inside it. Jesus' resurrection is a new world that he opens the door for you through, through his resurrection, and invites you to live in this new world of his victory. So what does that mean for us? So I'm gonna, we're going to step into verse 50 through 55 and see that the first thing is it invites us to live in his victory, hoping for that day. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? See, Martin Luther, uh, one of the reformers, main reformers um, back in the 1500s, 1400s, 1500s, he had this famous statement that he said, there are two days on my calendar. There is this day and that day. He's talking about the final day where Jesus returns. And that's what the Apostle Paul is referring to here. He's talking about that day in the future where Jesus returns and comes back and all things are suddenly made new. And Paul describes it as basically in the twinkling of an eye, right? Kind of like uh, if you're walking in the cold weather and your eye kind of waters up a little bit, you got to clink, you know, blink your eye. That's when it's going to, that's how fast the world's going to be turned over. Like, it takes forever for me to change my bed sheets. Faster than that. That's how fast this is going to all change. It is, in a moment, God will renew the world in a moment that is faster than we could blink. And what, what's going to happen when that happens, when that comes about? You notice that he says twice in verse 51 and 52 that we shall be changed. And then again, over here at verse 54, he says... When the imperishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, um, on immortality, then shall come to pass this saying that is written. I think I wrote down the wrong verse. Verse 50. See, now I'm trying to edit on the fly. I wrote down the wrong verse. He says we must put on immortality. So I want to know where it is. <laughs> He says twice that we shall be put changed. And then he says twice further that we must be changed. This is what happens when the resurrection happens again. Why, does, why do we need a resurrection? Jesus needed a resurrection because he was dead. He didn't deserve, deserve to be dead. He died for us in our place. Why do we need a resurrection? 
Well, the purpose of Jesus' resurrection is to make a gateway through our sin and death. He walks up to the cross. He takes on our sin in God's place. He takes on the wrath of God for all that we have done, for the death in our lives, the sin in our lives. And he dies a death that he does not deserve. And then on Easter Sunday morning, he rises again. And in his resurrection, he opens the gateway through death so that then we just get spiritual resurrection, so we get spiritual new life. No, what Paul's talking about here is that we get a second resurrection because God intends to live with us. And God cannot have his enemy living in his house. That's kind of what is going on here. God cannot have death living where God lives. I think one of the things that COVID has done for us in the last couple of years is that we've all kind of gotten a better sense of people avoiding being tainted, right? I don't say that negatively. COVID, we get COVID or we don't. But we all live in this life of like, we've had to live in this dynamic of how do we avoid getting this thing that is very deadly and is a problem. It gives us a visual picture of like, maybe now we have terms in our lives of like our social bubble, right? Social distancing and those sort of things. Well, God wants to live with us and he intends for us to live in his house. And so how does God live with us and then not have to social distance us from his house? That is the death and resurrection of Jesus that removes the taint of death from our lives. Sin is just a continual moral death in our lives. And the ultimate death that we will all experience, where we will all have a gravestone resting over our dead corpse, will be removed. Because God wants to live with us in his house. And he will remove, through the resurrection of Jesus, this stain of death in our lives. You see, uh, there's this moment, I know some of you may be familiar with The Lord of the Rings. There's this moment, uh, if you've seen the movie or you've read the books, there's this moment in the book where Merry and Pippin are walking. They kind of, they're these hobbits. They're very much like me. They, they like food. <laughs> they like eating. <laughs> and they're, they're suddenly kind of thrust into this adventure story where they're walking with Aragorn, their leader, and he finds them stopping to eat, Right? And he's like, what are you guys doing? Well, we've had first breakfast, yes. But we've not had second breakfast. <laughs> this story in 1 Corinthians 15 is, oh, we've had first, first resurrection, yeah. But we're going to have second resurrection. You all, when you believe in Jesus and trust in him, you begin to experience the new life of God pushing out the shadows of darkness in our souls. And what God is driving this whole world towards, kind of to quote Mr. Pippin, we're going to have a second resurrection. That, that's the day that we're looking forward to. When all this death that we experience, and even our ultimate, everybody in this room, our ultimate death, we will experience a second resurrection with our Lord eager to provide it for us. So, what does that mean for our lives today? It means that the period of death, the end of each of our stories, is turned into a semicolon. Death is not the end of the story. Whether that's the death of a relationship for you, death of 
uh, the moral struggles in your lives. Whatever the whatever death represents for you, the fact that the physical reality of death will not be the end of your story means that it rolls back into our lives so that every death we experience is not the end of the story. There is new life on the other side of death. There is a more powerful life on the other side of death. There is something in our lives that provides for us an anchor so that as we walk through deaths and ultimately we'll experience the true death, it is not the final story maker. Jesus writes in our own lives. There is, you might even say, like, I wonder what our gravestones will look like when they get edited by Jesus. Jacob, I, I hope many decades away, <laughs> whatever my gravestone says, semicolon, resurrected, whatever that final day is. Good, good Lord, who knows? That provides a hope for us that's true and anchored in reality and not some sort of cat poster of like, you can trust God for this. It's going to be okay. No, how do you trust God? Because Jesus himself was raised from the dead today. And it means there is always life on the other side of death. Let's pick up here in verse 57. So how do we live in his glorious resurrection life for us? Verse 57 he invites us to live in his victory, grateful for today. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus, our Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, what he's saying here in verse 56 is, uh, in reference to the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is a law, is that even when, because death has uh, tainted our souls so that we morally sin against God, and because sin has tainted our bodies, because we sin, we will ultimately all die. Even the best of us, in all of the ways in which we morally improve, cannot become a good guy enough to get out of death. Right? I listened to this. I, can't, I think it was This American Life or some podcast story. Where this guy had heard this kind of urban legend of like, um, if you go up to a store, you can just kind of say like, hey, can I get like the good guy discount? <laughs> I don't remember. It was some sort of context where he was like trying to test out this theory of like, there's this good guy discount that we all have like, of like, I'm a good guy, you're a good guy, let me give you 10% off sort of thing. I, I don't know what it was, but then the story seemed to follow him around as he went through. Can you imagine this awkward story, like awkwardness of like at the cash out, at the at the register at Target and be like, hey, so like, you're a good guy. I'm a good guy. Can I get 10% off the good, the good guy discount? When it comes to death, there is no good guy discount or good guy exemption to get you out of death, right? No matter how good you are. And honestly, I am amazed at how in my own, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, a couple decades or whatever, something like that, a long time. My friends who are not Christians sometimes make, often make morally better decisions than I make. And I'm just like, I've been trying to get better at who I am for a long time. And they just seem to kind of be doing it better than I am. Like, but the point of Christianity isn't to make you a morally better person. It has that effect in helping you grow and change. But it's not like being a morally better person exempts you from experiencing 
And so what we have here in verse 57 is the payoff of Easter. If you cannot immorally exempt yourself from, from death, then what is the value of Easter for us today? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You'll notice in verse 56, it says, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. And then in verse 57, it says, thanks be to God who gives us God's victory through Jesus. You see, what he is talking about here is this victory of Jesus, resurrection to destroy the power of death is given to us. That's when we talk about when we say, it's grace that saved us. It is grace, grace, and grace all the way from the beginning of the end. You don't deserve to get God's favor and victory and power in your lives. And yet the type of God that this whole book is about is a gracious, generous, happy God who's eager to give us his life and presence and victory over the very enemies of our lives freely. You get the sense here but thanks be to God, and you almost kind of hear in Paul, who's happy about it, right? Thanks be to God, who's happy to give you his victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I don't get the sense that God's the type of person that, like, begrudgingly has to do anything. I mean, if I were God, I mean, that would be a very bad equation to follow through. <laughs> I begrudgingly do good things for other people sometimes because, you know, you want to save face and you want to be nice and you want to be thought of a good person. God doesn't have, and there's no higher court for God to appease. <laughs> and so here he is at the defeat of his enemy and the resurrection of Jesus. And it seems to me that he's happy to give it to us. Paul says, or I'm sorry, not Paul. Tim Keller has this kind of gospel definition. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You see, God, God's eager to give us this victory in Jesus. I've been um, through, uh, so the, the 40 days, 47 days leading up to Easter Sunday today is in the Christian calendar called the period of Lent. And for Lent, this year, I have been, at the end of every day, I'll make a list of things that I'm grateful for. And so at this point, I've missed a few days. So let's say that's 42 days, 40 days that I've done that for. And I've done 10 a day. So that's now, over the last month and a half, I've listed out 400 things that I'm grateful for from the last month and a half. And each of those, as I do them, I may not say, because of Jesus, but each of those are in my life, and I experience them as God, as good things that I'm grateful for. Because the resurrected Christ is happy to open the floodgates of God's goodness in my life. That's what this invites us into. When he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Those areas of death in our lives, whether it's the darkness of depression or despair, whether it is the death of friendships or relationships or the reality of death in our lives with family and friends, God is still yet writing a new story in our lives because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. And so every moment 
of spark and light and goodness is his gift to us that paves a path forward for us of gratitude. This is the invitation of the resurrected Christ to live in his goodness and resurrection. This gratitude changes our experience every day and invites us into a new way of life. Let's finish by looking at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is an invitation to live in his victory, flourishing each day. It's interesting to me, you notice he says, uh, I'm not, trans, various translations kind of get the three words here a little bit differently, but they all kind of are within the same scope. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. I, I think it's interesting to consider, how does it, what does it look like for our lives in this current moment to flourish and grow in this resurrection light of Jesus Christ when we consider the negatives of those three terms, Right. What is the opposite? What are the opposites of them? And I, I, I used my, my incredible studying skills and went to thesaurus.com and typed in these words. <laughs> um, they generally kind of are in the realm of the opposite of steadfast is being afraid. The opposite of immovable is yielding. The opposite of abounding is being empty. And I can imagine that for the Apostle Paul, the reason he, he says always be abounding and steadfast is because he knows the gravitational power, the gravitational force of death and sin in our lives is always away from enjoying the life of Jesus that he's offered us. It is, there's always kind of this gravitational force to go towards death and negativity and despair. That's not to say that we don't struggle with depression. That's not to say that we don't struggle with negative thoughts or realities. That's not to say we don't experience negative things in our life. But there's a gravitational force that pulls us away from experiencing the goodness of our resurrected Christ so that we experience being steadfast and immovable. I think what we need to do in response to this and to go back to our experience of Mary and Pippin. There is a second resurrection coming. And what is the line that comes after that? Aragorn says, we have to keep moving. And Mary says to Pippin, I don't think he knows about second breakfast. <laughs> God help you if you don't know about second breakfast. <laughs> Sometimes I think we forget that there is a second resurrection coming. It is easy to get caught up in the lives that we have, and that's not net bad. We have responsibilities, we have difficulties, we have troubles. If you were to just take the slice of 03103 zip code and all the things we've got going on just in this neighborhood right over here or your neighborhood, wherever you are, there are just stuff that goes on and just kind of clutters in the mind and causes us to forget that there is a day that we are all driving towards because the first resurrection has happened. And what we do on Sunday mornings when we get together here, and now 
the history of the church has celebrated some 2,000 Resurrection Sundays, some 2,000 Easter Sundays, is we remind ourselves there is a second resurrection coming. And it changes how we think about the events of this past week. It gives us faith for the events of the week ahead. We need each other in our Sunday morning context and then our small group moments. We need to help each other, just like Mary to Pippin. I don't think there's a second resurrection coming. We need to remind each other, oh, but there is. There is a second resurrection coming where Jesus will come and take all things that are sad and make them untrue, to quote the rest of the Lord of the Rings. Can you imagine what your life would be like, who you would be, what you would be like if God were to, so to speak, come down with a little siphon, kind of come in and, and remove death and sin from your life? What would you be like? Can you imagine the, the, the inner narrative that would be removed, pulled right out? Maybe some, some physical pains and struggles that you had, pulled right out. Whatever mental health struggles you have, pulled right out. Those, those pains in your soul that won't go away. Maybe it's a deep loss. Pulled right out. And then you would be, whoever you are, you would be you without the taint of sin and death. I mean, it, it blows my mind to begin to think about what would Jacob be like without all of the the shadow version of Jacob in my, on the inner side. What would I be like with all of those good parts that God loves and has redeemed and is renewing? And then you fill that with a glorified body that, hey, maybe someday I actually will be able to run and keep up with you guys who are in your running club and all that stuff. Because <laughs> right now I just have a cane. <laughs> Can you imagine what that would be like? Hey, the way we flourish is to know this is not the full story of life. The resurrection of Jesus infuses in us a reality that we will begin to see someday. And then that day, when the second resurrection comes, we will be like him. And you'll be able to see each other the way God has always wanted you to see each other. The redeemed version of yourselves with sin and death pulled out of the picture, defeated and thrown into the gutter, and you get to live with God himself. That's what we celebrate on Easter morning. That, that, that's, what, that's what Easter does for us. It's true that Jesus was raised from the dead, but it does something now. I hope that you, this Sunday, experiencing, experience the smile of your resurrected Jesus, joining you as we worship him still, and then whatever your Easter celebrations look like for the rest of the day, that he's happy he was resurrected, and he's happy to make you new. And I pray that you would live in his victorious resurrection. So let's pray. God, as we continue to worship you and celebrate what Jesus has accomplished for us, I pray that you would fill our souls with this promise that there is a second resurrection. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, it changes our moment and experience of today. And so we live in his victory. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you 
for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.